It's time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions, because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. Hello, America. How are you? Welcome to the Financial Physician Radio Program. Lou Scatigna here. We get together each and every Wednesday, 4 o'clock on the East Coast and 1 o'clock on the West Coast to talk about money, markets, and politics. And we always enjoy your phone calls. 866-472-5790 is our call number if you have a question or comment about the program. And let's start off talking about September. Happy September. Hopefully everybody enjoyed their summer. Hopefully everybody enjoyed their Labor Day holiday, but we're back to work, and people are coming back and looking at markets, look at what's going on around the world, and trying to make investment decisions, and I think this is probably the most risky September and October we've seen in the markets uh, since 2008 when we had the big financial crisis, and I think 2008, going back maybe to 1987, we haven't seen uh, a September and October like we're going to see this year. There's so many perils that the market faced right now going into September uh, that people really have to be aware and be very, very careful. Now, I came out this summer and said, get out of the stock market, that we're heading for another financial crisis and uh, that this was a great time to do it. The stock market was at record highs. And then as we entered into the fall, uh, we were going to see a tremendous danger uh, in the financial markets and potentially a crash. So let's talk about some of the things that we're facing in September uh, that really can derail the markets. Well, the first thing is uh, let's talk about the budget. Uh, the government is due for a shutdown unless Congress can pass a new budget or a continuing resolution to continue to fund the government. Now, of course, the Republicans on one side want to cut spending, this out-of-control spending that we have in the country. Democrats on the other side keep, want to continue to spend at the pace uh, they've been spending at, if not more. And this has been a problem every time we face this budget situation in September. But this year, I think, is different. This year, it looks like the, um, the Tea Party conservatives uh, in the House especially uh, are going to drive for some meaningful spending cuts if they're going to approve any budget. And it's going to be contentious. It's going to be partisan on both sides. Uh, the president will stick his two cents in for what it's worth. And we will have a big problem. And it will probably go down to the wire. Or maybe be pushed back even further than that. So we have a chance of a government shutdown. And that's the last thing the markets need is the, the threat of a government shutdown. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, we also have uh, the debt ceiling debate. Uh, Treasury Secretary Liu came out uh, last week and said that by uh, early October, uh, the nation would hit the debt ceiling which is kind of interesting considering that uh, the national debt in this country hasn't changed since May. It's been at the exact same level since May. $25 million under the debt ceiling. Now, we know just by the Treasury's own numbers uh, that we've had deficits through the summer, but it has not added to the debt. 
Why is that? Because the Treasury is doing all kinds of uh, clever accounting and, and moving monies around from the, the federal employees, the pension plans, they're borrowing against that, and they're doing things that are not traditional debt for the government. But for all intents and purposes, it really is debt because they're borrowing money that they don't have. So when a debt ceiling is raised, which ultimately it will be after a major battle, then what they'll do is they'll pay back all the money to the government pension systems and all the money they, they, they took from that. Uh, and the debt ceiling, uh, the actual national debt, will jump tremendously within a day or two of the debt ceiling being raised. So it's all kind of clever, kind of uh, magician-type economics and politics, and um, it's not real. But it is creative accounting, if you want to call it that at best. So the government has already by billions and billions of dollars, probably $100 billion, maybe more, have exceeded the debt ceiling. It's just not considered the debt ceiling when you don't change the nation's debt one penny in over 120 days. And that's what's happened here with the debt ceiling. So that's another contentious argument, separate from the budget. And again, the Republicans are going to want to extract spending cuts uh, in order to raise the debt ceiling. And this, you know, will go into extra innings like it did last time. And if you do recall, uh, August 2011, when we had the debt ceiling debate, uh, and it went to the last minute, there was some kind of compromise finally, and, and uh, we didn't default. And then Standard & Poor's lowered our AAA credit rating. And that could happen again here. Another thing we need to worry about, well, the first thing we need to worry about is Friday. What's Friday? It's the August non-farm payrolls report, the jobs report. And a jobs report is uh, the most important economic report that comes out uh, every month. And markets react pretty violently to it. If it's very positive and a lot of jobs are created, uh, then a the market will react favorably to it. If uh, it's anemic like it was last month, uh, the markets will react very negatively to it. So how was the job market in August? I think it's going to be a disappointing. Uh, my guess would be we're going to see about 120,000 jobs created which at this stage of the quote-unquote recovery is anemic. You need 150,000 jobs each month just to keep pace with uh, population growth and people entering the job force as they graduate from college and so forth. So that's going to be the first thing we're going to get, and that's going to be this Friday. Um, then we have the Federal Reserve meeting this month, and many people in the market expect the Fed to come out and say that they are going to taper uh, their purchases of U.S. Treasury bonds and mortgage bonds. Now, the Fed has been buying $85 billion a month for a long time, about 40, I think it's $45 billion of U.S. Treasury bonds and $40 billion of uh, mortgage bonds. It may be the other way around, but for all intents and purposes, it's about the same. And that is buoyed. The, it's kept interest rates in the bond market in check. But what we've seen over the last few months is we've seen interest rates go up in the Treasury bond market. And that happened as soon as uh, Ben Bernanke indicated that possibly maybe could happen, maybe next time, maybe this September, uh, that they would start tapering their purchases of U.S. Treasury bonds and mortgage bonds. And in June, the stock market swooned, and uh, more importantly, the Treasury bond market dropped, and interest rates went up dramatically and have stubbornly stayed there. Interest rates on a 10-year U.S. Treasury bond 
were uh, about 1.5%, 1.6% in May. And uh, by mid-July, they were 2.6%, and today they're 2.9%. So we're very close to 3% on the U.S. Treasury bond, the 10-year. And that's a doubling of interest rates in that market. Just due to the fact that the Federal Reserve signaled that they may start to taper their purchases. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to stop. It doesn't mean they're going to stop printing money and buying bonds. It means they're just not going to do $85 billion a month. So instead of doing $85 billion a month, maybe they do uh, $75 billion. Is that a dramatic change? Not really. But the market to the market, it signals that uh, the um, cocaine that the Fed has been providing the markets uh, will slowly go away. And these markets are, are definitely, definitely in need of stimulus to go up. There's been no economic reason for the stock market to go up. The reason why the market's gone up is because the Fed has been printing $85,000 million a month. And that's exactly what $85 billion is. And I say it almost every week on this program. You know, you hear them throw these numbers around. And, you know, they don't mean anything anymore. But a billion dollars is a thousand million. So if they're printing and buying bonds and buying $85 billion worth, they're printing $85,000 million dollars a month that's not chump change so when they buy the bonds off of the big wall street houses that have these garbage bonds not necessarily the treasury bonds but the mortgage bonds although the treasury bonds will be garbage bonds in the future uh that money that's freed up from these banks finds its way into the stock market and other investments and that's what's buoyed the stock market and uh and we know that uh uh as soon as that spigot is turned off Interest rates will go up dramatically, stock market will go down dramatically, and the economy will tank. That's why I don't think that Ben Bernanke and the Federal Reserve will do any meaningful taper. Now, they may do a little bit just to give them some credibility that they, 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 they're going to do something that they say they're going to do, but then it won't be followed up by more. And if the economic numbers start coming in ugly, which they will, then uh, they'll start printing more money and buying more bonds. And I think that's what's going to happen. But the, the bond market, and I said that over the last few weeks, is the key here. Interest rates in the bond market, especially the 10-year bond market, which, which the interest rates on a 10-year bond influence the rates on mortgages. They're tied to it, which affects housing, of course. Also, in the next few weeks, Obama is going to name the new Federal Reserve Chairman. It's going to take over in January. Ben Bernanke is resigning. Not resigning, he's retiring. Boy, Ben's getting out of town just at the right time. Just at the right time. I don't know why anybody would want to be the next Federal Reserve chief. It's going to be ugly. So we got problems with uh, the political environment, which we know is totally dysfunctional. And we see it on every single topic. Democrats back Obama. Republicans are anti-Obama, and they vote, vote in blocks, and we have standoffs on every issue, regardless of the merits of it. And both sides are, are guilty of this, not one side over the other. We have a dysfunctional national political system right now, and it gets worse every day, and markets don't like that. And lastly, we have Syria and the Middle East and what happens there. 
which again is anyone's guess right now. But the way it looks today, Wednesday on uh, September 4th, uh, it looks like that we are going to attack Syria. It seems that Congress is coming around, at least the Senate is. We'll see what happens in the House, uh, to giving the president authorization. And the resolution that's circulating right now is 30 days of bombing, and the president has an option to extend it 30 more. So we're talking about three months of warfare, and we don't know what the retaliation, what the ramifications of that will be, how other superpowers will react, and how other countries in the region will react, and what that will do to oil prices, which now are at about $108 a barrel. My guess is if we get a shooting war started, and it looks like we're going to, we look like we're hell-bent on uh, opening up another war front in the Middle East. Uh, we're going to see oil surge, which is shooting ourselves in the foot. And that will have tremendously adverse effects on the economy and the financial market. So we've got a lot of things happening in September. It's going to be a very interesting month, and it's going to be a very volatile month. We're going to take a short break. Phone number 866-472-5790. You're listening to The Financial Physician right here on the Business Channel on voiceamerica.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you currently or aspire to serve on a board or work in a leadership capacity for or with a public or nonprofit organization, where can you turn to get the best advice and practices? How about Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G., Jenny Frumer, John Janetta, and Linda Schub? Our program discusses challenges facing both public and nonprofit leaders. Don't miss these practical solutions and tips to enhance your leadership style and effectiveness. Leadership Matters airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Did you know that at the root of every business problem lies a communication issue? Communication Nation, a show that brings effective business communication practices to the masses, addresses a number of topics and talking points that impact your professional development, as well as business productivity and profitability. Host Jill Schiffelbein makes the theoretical tangible. Tune in each Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be ready to become a better communicator with Communication Nation. We spend 70% of our week in the office. What is the difference between enjoying your job and enduring it? The number one motivator is a positive work environment. And that's where Real Recognition Radio comes in. Join your hosts, Roy Saunderson and S. Max Brown, as they take a look at the positive factors of the workplace, such as employee rewards, recognition, incentives, and much more. Tune in to Real Recognition Radio, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Financial Physician. And America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna, is here to help you. Call with your questions now at 1-866-472-5788. That's toll free, 1-866-472-5788. Once again, here's Lou. All right, before the break, we're talking about September and uh, how risky and how dangerous this September is given 
all the different issues that we're going to face uh, over the next few weeks, including the debt ceiling issue, the budget, uh, Syria, the Middle East. And um, right now, I would, if I was a betting man, and I am being a, a market participant, uh, I believe we're going to um, take military action against Syria. Um, how that helps anything, I don't know. And I'm totally against it. And it blows my mind that um, Congress seems to be moving to approve it. And very prominent Republicans have come out to approve uh, military action against Syria, which is only going to open up a hornet's nest. And whether it's legal or not, under international law, is another issue altogether. Uh, We don't have backing of the UN Security Council. We don't have the backing uh, or the participation of, of Great Britain, whose uh, parliament voted it down, and they say they're not going to participate. Uh, Germany doesn't want to have nothing to do with it, nor does NATO. So this is a unilateral uh, American response, and it's never good to go into a situation like that without international backing, like we had for Iraq and other military ventures that we were involved in. But it seems that uh, this administration and, and, and Congress seems uh, uh, is hell-bent on basically going to war with Syria. Now, I was listening to John Kerry in front of the, um, the congressional hearing today and yesterday. And when asked about you know getting Congress's approval for war, he said, well, this isn't really the traditional kind of war. You know, it's just kind of like it's a military operation. It's limited in its scope. Uh, there's no boots on the ground. We're not going to have people in it. So, so we really don't need to ask Congress um, for their approval on this. We'd like to have it. And that's why the president surprised even his own people uh, by saying, you know, I, I, need, I want congressional approval. While at the same time saying he doesn't need it and that he still may start military action, even if he doesn't get the approval of Congress. Uh, and uh, Senator Rand Paul made a good question. He says well, to Curry, why are you here asking us to vote on this if our vote may be meaningless? And I think that's a very good question. If Congress votes against military action and the president does it anyway, what was the purpose of the vote? I think the purpose of the vote is he felt that, you know, he will get just enough to pass it. And then if something goes wrong, he blame Congress. He doesn't take responsibility for anything himself. So we got a lot of different things going on here. The debt ceiling, the budget, uh, the geopolitical concerns. And let me tell you, the key here is oil prices. I mean, we got $105, $108 oil now. We have $303.60 gas. We're going into the heating oil season. And this venture will most likely cost Americans who buy heating oil and gasoline billions of dollars. Billions of dollars and may throw the economy into recession. Oh, not may, will. So with the fragile economy as it is, Oil prices as high as they are. Opposition to any military action by uh, Russia, China, who are basically backing Syrian regime. Uh, this is a very dangerous situation. 
And the question here is, will there be retaliation against Israel by Syria? And then, of course, Israel is not going to take it. Any kind of uh, actions against Israel are going to be responded with uh, full force. And there's even reports that uh, Vladimir Putin has threatened Saudi Arabia, saying that if the United States takes action, the West takes any action against Syria, uh, that it will attack Saudi Arabia. What will that do to oil prices? Now, let me distill down to you what this is all about. Everything is not as it seems, and, and usually that's the case. What this whole Syrian thing is about is oil and natural gas. What do I mean by that? Well, Russia provides most of Europe with natural gas through their state-owned monopolies, uh, and they do it through pipelines that go through Eastern Europe into Europe. And Russia's economy, its uh, reserves, its uh, currency reserves, its ability to purchase gold uh, is based on their oil economy. Now, Saudi Arabia and Qatar and other Middle Eastern nations would love to have a direct pipeline into Europe through Turkey, through Syria, through Turkey, into Europe uh, to get some of that business. It's that simple. That's why the Saudis are backing the rebels in Syria with ammunition, with military equipment, with money. That's why they're doing it. And this is why the Russians are backing Assad and the current Syrian regime, which will not allow the pipeline to be built through their country, which preserves Russia's monopoly on natural gas going into Europe. Always got to follow the money. These things are always about money and big money. And we're talking really big money here. And that's what it's about. As a matter of fact, I read an article that said that when uh, uh, um, Saudi Arabia's uh, one of the princes there, I forgot his name, um, Dandar, I think his name is, uh, met with Putin. He told Putin, if you allow Syria to fall, that we will guarantee you that there won't be any terrorism at your Winter Olympics, at Sochi, or Sochi, whatever it's called. Basically implying that if they didn't, that it would happen. And the Saudis said that we control the Chechen rebels, which are Muslim extremists, and uh, we have some control over them, and we can make sure you have a terrorism-free Olympics next year. And that's this coming February. Implying that if you don't, allow Syria to go down, that uh, we're not going to be uh, so uh, so helpful there. And implying that terrorism will come to their Olympics, which really infuriated Putin. Because again, you understand what Putin's thinking here. He's thinking about the oil and gas and natural gas into Europe. Saudi Arabia wants that business. And this is really a proxy battle between Saudi Arabia and Russia. That's what it's all about. They're still down very simply. Now, all this other stuff that's going on, you could say the people are rising against Assad because he's a dictator and all that stuff. It's all meaningless without the backing of superpowers. And, of course, 
the United States had been backing the rebels, which now have become radicalized and have been infiltrated with Al-Qaeda. So we're basically backing Al-Qaeda in Syria. Well, how good did it work back in the rebels in Libya? That's a disaster now, overrun by radical Islamists. How do we do uh, backing the overthrow of Mubarak in Egypt? Well, the Muslim Brotherhood took over the country. So, you got to be careful who you back. You have to look at the long-term ramifications of that. So, this whole Syria thing is a proxy war. And the big prize is oil and natural gas to Europe. And does the Saudis get to get a piece of the pie that the, the Russians are eating all by themselves. And uh, I've read some, some really good articles from pretty smart people that it's possible uh, that this chemical weapons attack was actually instituted by the rebels uh, with, with chemical weapons provided by Saudi Arabia to basically set up Assad and the Syrian government to bring in the United States to do the bidding of Saudi Arabia. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. But why would Assad, who's beating the rebels, he's got the upper hand, he's winning the war, or the insurrection, or whatever you want to call it, why would Assad do something so brazen as gas thousands of people and not expect that that would bring in the West, or at least the United States, in retaliation. It makes no sense. And always think, who benefits by this? Well, you know, who benefits by it? Well, the rebels. Not the ones that were gassed, but everybody else. Because now, we are hell-bent on getting involved. And maybe tipping the whole uh, conflict in the favor of the rebels. And overthrowing Assad and his government. Meanwhile, the president comes out and says that uh, it's undeniable evidence. Kerry comes out and says, I was a prosecutor, and this is beyond a reasonable doubt. But is it? I don't know. And it's funny, I was talking to a buddy of mine, and he goes, look, if I can't believe my government, then, you know, I might as well just cash it in. You can't believe your government. You haven't been able to believe your government for decades. The government lies to us all the time. And has forever. And when you have a government that has the mainstream media in its back pocket, who never reports or investigates anything, that's counter to the administration. Well, well, that's a different issue altogether. So I'm not saying that that happened, but I'm saying is that it could have happened. And it would have benefited the rebels if it did happen because it would get the United States involved. So again, this is a really kicking a hornet's nest by us getting involved here. And unless we do something major and really get involved here, if we just throw some uh, cruise missiles in there, uh, take out some uh, facilities, uh, what good is that going to do for the, for the entire process here? So September, very interesting time, and it's going to affect oil prices, going to affect the economy, going to affect financial markets, and investors have to be aware of that. All right, we're going to take another short break. My name is Luce. Continue listening to The Financial Physician. Don't go away.
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. As your business grows, are you growing with it? Do you have the right balance of time, attention, work, and personal life? Take the growing pains out of growth and tune into The Business Edge with Marsha Zidle. If you are spending most of your energy managing problems rather than focusing on taking your business to the next level, our program will give you the steps you need to make sure you have everything in place for forward-thinking business leadership. The Business Edge is heard every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What are the reasons that over three-quarters of small businesses fail within three years? Why do 70% of U.S. women-owned businesses make less than $50,000 a year? What causes mid-sized companies to stagnate? Although today many fundamentals of business remain the same, there are critical current changes that are not being acknowledged, and the result is costly. Tune in to Moving Forward with host Jen Sabin. We'll discuss the core reasons and plans of action to keep your business moving forward. Listen Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. Looking for a business talk radio program that's unlike any other talk radio program you've heard before? It's time to check out Game On! Business Talk Radio with host Dr. D. Anthony Miles. Dr. Miles and his guests will tackle some of the unconventional and controversial issues and topics in the business world. We'll outline, discuss, and provide solutions to certain problems in marketing, business management, financial accounting, and policies. You and your business can't afford to miss a show. Tune in Wednesdays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on The Voice. America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. On The Financial Physician, we don't just cover the good time financial news. We cover the good, the bad, and the ugly. Have a question for America's money doctor, Luz Katigna? Call him now at 1-866-472-5788. Or email the show. Here's the address, lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Now, back to Lou. All right, just a reminder about the website, thefinancialphysician.com, where we archive this radio program and uh, we have my active blog that I update most days and uh, we put on the video of this radio program within 24 hours the first half of the show usually I videotape and then uh, we'll put a link to the entire show so you can listen to the show uh, at your leisure my email address is lou L-O-U at thefinancialphysician.com. Love your emails, comments, questions and this is an internet radio show I know, I know it's live and uh, but I don't think a lot of people listen to this show live especially 4 o'clock on the East Coast. I mean, people are at work. It's Wednesday uh, afternoon. and But most people do listen to the show uh, on the archives. We get statistics on that from Voice America all the time. You know, relatively small live audience, but during the course of the week, a pretty huge um, audience that listen to, listens to the show uh, on, on the archive format. And that's great. The only problem with that is that we don't have phone calls. We don't have questions. And, you know, I've been in radio for 15 years, and um, – I'm used to having active phones and I'm used to having uh, questions and giving advice on this program. And that's what the show is really all about. And, uh, you know, here on the Internet, it's a little bit different where we just, you know, basically talk for an hour and, and don't get to interact uh, with our listeners because they can't call in and ask a question on a show that's not live. Uh, so what we may want to do here is um, if you have questions, financial questions, specific financial questions, about investments, IRAs, markets, 
anything financial, taxes, uh, email them to me at lou at the financial physician.com and I uh, will be happy to uh, read uh, the, the question on the air here and give some advice out. And that's what my show is all about. Uh, this is why I do radio, is to help people, to advise people, and, and to answer specific questions. And if you email me the question, I'll answer the question to you directly on email, but I'll also maybe use it on the show uh, without mentioning your name. So that's Lou at the Financial Physician.com. And also a reminder, uh, my book's available on Amazon.com, The Financial Physician, How to Cure Your Money Problems and Boost Your Financial Health. And I got to tell you, uh, since I wrote that book, uh, we have gotten, uh, I can't tell you how many great compliments I've received about that book. And, and the one that I, I like the most is how easy it is to read. And, you know, most financial books are kind of dry and tiring and, um, you know, it's not something you want to just pick up. It's not a page turner for most people. I can't tell you how many people told me they read the book cover to cover in one sitting, which is saying a lot about a financial book. And that is success to me. I wanted to write a book that was easy to read, not financial ease, where a 25-year-old could pick it up and understand the basics of financial planning and proper financial management uh, in the times that we live in. And the book covers uh, how to buy a car, the proper way to do it, how to save money, proper way to buy a home, how to figure out what you can afford, how to stay out of problems, how to get a mortgage and what types of mortgages you should look at, the types of down payment that is necessary before you should even consider buying a home. We talk about how to cut your insurance costs, the types of insurances that are available and that you should have, the proper estate planning you need to do, things like that. So it's a, it's a great book. It's a good book, especially for young people just getting married or getting started in life. Uh, but any age group, uh, I think, could uh, get something out of the book. And that's The Financial Physician, How to Cure Your Money Problems and Boost Your Financial Health. And it's available on Amazon.com and, and, and other online bookstores. And I think the last I looked, it was 10 or $11. It's the best 10 or $11 you'll ever spend. And as we enter the fall here, it's a, it's a great Christmas gift, especially for the younger people uh, in your life. Now let's talk about Obamacare. You know, I have such a huge pile on Obamacare. I probably could do a full show each and every week about it. Because we learn more about it each and every week because it's being implemented now. And we're learning about what's going on. Well, uh, it was announced last week, the, the IRS uh, issued final rules on Obamacare's individual mandate last week. And you may ask, why the IRS? Because the IRS is the agency that is going to basically enforce Obamacare. Uh, and that should make uh, chills go up your spine after all we know about the IRS these days. Well, on, on Tuesday of last week, they, they issued final rules for the individual mandate. Uh, on one of the most contentious elements uh, of the U.S. law that's set to go effect next week. And that is if, if individuals choose uh, not to carry insurance, they're subject to a penalty. Well, that penalty in 2014 um, and, uh, is $95 a person or 1% of your income. Then that's not a lot. They're just going to ease this penalty in. So who cares about $95? I'll pay $95 if I don't have to buy health insurance. That makes sense. Uh, but that's going to go up. Now, if you make $100,000 a year, it's $1,000. So, But if you make $100,000 a year, most likely you have health insurance. Now, that's going to go up to $695 penalty per person or 2.5% of your income 
in 2016. So if you make $50,000, you're talking about a $1,200 penalty, you know, by 2016. So, I mean, this is, uh, this was a contentious part of the whole Obamacare thing was the individual mandate, basically making people purchase something. And if they don't, they get fined. Well, no, 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 they don't get fined because Chief Justice Roberts clarified that in his epic decision when the Supreme Court announced that Obamacare, it's not a, a, it's not a fee, it's a tax. And the Congress has a right to enact taxes. And it blew everybody's mind that this was the way uh, Chief Justice Roberts came to his conclusion and his vote swung uh, Obamacare from being uh, found unconstitutional to being found constitutional. And I got to tell you, and I'm not the only one saying this, and the reason I'm saying this is because of things that I've read on the internet, they say he was got to, that they have some dirt on him regarding – he has two adopted children. I believe from out of the country. And apparently by some of the articles I read, it may not have been totally legal and above board the way it went about. And some are saying that he was blackmailed, that he was going to lose his children if he voted against this. I don't know if it's true. Of course, of course, nobody, uh, nobody, uh, nobody, well, let me get my phone and turn my cell phone off. Uh, of course, it rings when my okay. Sorry about that. Um, I don't know if it's true, but it, his decision was mind-boggling, and most legal scholars, you know, just scratched their head and couldn't understand how he can come to that conclusion. Which was more fodder for the fire that you know, how could this guy do this? First of all, he's a conservative, chief justice of the Supreme Court. Nobody expected him uh, to vote for Obamacare. But he did, and he twisted the whole thing into its attacks and so forth. But uh, but again, it's very very curious, and I guess history will tell us, you know, maybe down the line what happened with the uh, Chief Justice um, Roberts. Now, the employer mandate, which is totally different, which is employers have fifty employees or more, have to cover them, or they will be fine or whatever you want to call it. Well, that has been delayed a year. It looks like corporations uh, have more power uh, than um, uh, than uh, individuals, though. So here's the thing. It's a small tax first year. And another thing, too, is that you know a lot of people thought their employers were going to cover them because they were going to mandate it to cover them. And now they don't have to cover them. So now they are at risk um, for um, a fine. Right, we got a call on our line. Let's go to the caller, and it is, uh, I believe, it's uh, Joe from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Joe, how are you? Hey, how you doing, Lou? Well, hey, it's I great to no finally call. have a phone caller on the show. You know, you All wonder right. when you when you don't get phone calls, you wonder if anybody's even listening. And uh, like I said earlier, you know, most people listen on you know after after the show is, is taped. Uh, but it's nice to know that there's some live listeners out there as well. How can we help you, Joe? Well, I'll just tell you one thing. Uh, your lead-ins, uh, your, your lead-in number is wrong. It's, uh, it gives you a 5788, and it's uh, the business. It's got the variety, and uh, 
the lead-in number, correct lead-in number is 5790, the last four. So oh, yeah, you know, we did you correct know it on, our, on our, our, our audios. I'm surprised. You're right. I did, I did hear that on the, um, the rejoiners. I have, to, I have to look into that and figure out why yeah. I didn't put the new ones well, in Well, listen, there. my question is, um, you've been watched, uh, watching and reading some of the stuff in your blog and other blogs and Internet sites about the bail-in. And could you mm-hmm. clarify as far as I moved, like I'm the executor of my mom's uh, estate, and I moved her out of Wells Fargo into a credit union. But to be safe, you know, you know, uh, some people are saying being totally out of the system when the the, the Black Swan event uh, occurs, you know, and and the uh, and the uh, system starts to totally go into the into into the well. But uh, could you clarify exactly, um, you know, what listing of banks, uh, community banks, state banks, what what would be good to to transfer into your your wealth? Well, one of the big guys out there saying get out of the system is Jim Sinclair. Uh, Jim Sinclair is a guy who I've met. I've I've been to his meetings. uh, I've followed him for a long time. Smart guy. Uh, uh, knows what he's talking about, and he's been going around the country telling people to get out of the system, especially banks uh, that got bail-ins, bailouts, I should say. Uh, the big banks, any bank that you know you see a commercial on TV is a bank that you shouldn't have your money in. And he says you should be in community banks or uh, credit unions, but not with a lot of money. And you know what? Banks don't pay us any interest on our money anyway, so why do we want to deposit it with them uh, uh, if we're not getting paid to do it? And the new bail-in uh, template is when a bank, a too-big-to-fail uh, bank fails, is that depositors will pay the price and bondholders, uh, not the government and taxpayers. And that's what's going to happen, and that's, that, that's, that's, that's the template right now. So to keep your money in smaller community banks that don't have that systemic risk, don't have those derivatives, uh, and, and won't need that bail-in is a smart thing to do, and I agree with them there. Uh, so I would stay with the smaller banks. I would stay with the community banks. And you know what? Community banks reinvest those funds in a local community, in local businesses, local housing. Uh, and I think that's a smart way to go anyway. Community banks are just as uh, insured. They're FDIC insured uh, as the bigger banks are, although – who knows what FDIC insurance is going to be worth in the future if we have a systemic bank failure. Uh, but, yeah, we have to be very, very careful about the banking system. Now, on my website, on my blog, uh, just yesterday I put two different videos on the banking system. And, uh, you know, one is uh, why you need to get out of the banking system. is a very, very good video, very well explained uh, uh, what's the differences between the big banks and small banks and uh, what can go wrong with derivatives and all that kind of stuff. And another one, it just simply – Kind of, it was kind of like a parody, but it basically said, you know, take your money out of the bank um, uh, of uh, Potter, if you remember, it's a wonderful life, and keep it in the bank, uh, the Bailey Bank, that's there for the people, where the Potter Bank is against the people, and and and, and do the same thing. So I think people should go to the blog and watch those two videos. It's worth your time. And people who have more than I would say fifty thousand dollars in a bank are nuts. And some people say, well, we have the FDIC, you know, and it's insurance to two hundred and fifty thousand. The FDIC is useless if we have a systemic bank failure. They have about thirty billion dollars covering like seven trillion dollars in assets. It's 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 not even there. So anyway, thanks for the call, Joe. Really do appreciate it. Uh, stay with those community banks and those credit unions. All right, one more segment left in the program. My name is Luz Katigna. You're listening to The Financial Physician right here on VoiceAmerica.com's business channel. Don't go away.
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. If you want to know about investing in emerging and frontier markets, or if you have experience in this field but still need to know more, tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham. Gavin explores news, current trends, and insights about both categories of investing. His guest experts, along with his own knowledge, will help you stay above the line when it comes to growth potential, whether in funds or equities. He will look at what to invest in and avoid. Tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now there's a new destination for video content, VoiceAmerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support you. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. There should be mandatory personal finance courses taught in both high school and college. You're listening to The Financial Physician. Financial illiteracy is the number one reason the average American has little or no net worth. America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna, is here to help you now. Give him a call at 1-866-472-5788. That's toll free, 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to Lou. All right, welcome back to this thing of ours called the Financial Physician Radio Program, where we talk money, markets, politics, and it's the last one that affects money and markets. And uh, and uh, certainly that's the truth with Obamacare. It's, uh, we talked about the the individual mandate and what it's going to cost people who don't have health insurance. And why would anybody want to have health insurance next year if it's only going to cost you ninety five dollars if you don't have it? It's a lot cheaper to pay that ninety five dollars than to buy health insurance. But ultimately, the government needs everybody to be in these health insurance plans. Otherwise, it don't work. That's why this is such a train wreck. Really, it's such a train wreck. And uh, Ben Stein, he was on uh, CBS Sunday Morning week before last, and he had a great quote. And and I'm going to read it to you. He said, fathom the hypocrisy of a government that requires every citizen to prove they are insured, but not everyone must prove they are a citizen. And now, any of those who refuse or are unable to prove they are citizens will receive free insurance paid for by those who are forced to buy insurance because they're citizens. (laughs) 
<laughs> Only Ben Stein would come up with that. That is great. Let me tell you a little bit about my uh, health care uh, experience recently. Uh, and this is with conventional insurance, uh, which kind of will blow your mind a little bit. Uh, a week and a half ago, a week ago Saturday, um, I hurt myself. Uh, I was getting on my boat at the marina, and I slipped on the, on the swim platform in the back, and I'm falling backwards into the drink. Now, I wanted to prevent that from happening. So I reached out and I grabbed the railing as I was falling backwards, underhanded, and I um, did it, pulled as far as I could to prevent myself from falling in. Well, I gave in anyway and fell in, was soaking wet. I had a sweatshirt and sweatpants on, which added about 100 pounds of weight to me. Pulled myself out on the ladder up back into the boat. Uh, and uh, this was at night. And uh, I sleep on a boat in the weekend and uh, went to bed, woke up about an hour later, couldn't move my arms. They were just unbelievably hard, mainly my biceps. They were, they were, they, and then I got up in the morning and I looked at them and it was obvious that something seriously wrong <laughs> happened to my arms. Both of them were torn and deformed. Uh, now, I'm a weightlifter. I'm in great shape. Uh, never hurt myself. I'm 53 years old. Never hurt myself in the gym. In eight years, I've been working out, heavyweight, and this is the way I hurt myself. I wasn't happy. Went to the emergency room. They looked at it. Yeah, you have torn arms. You have to go see your orthopedist the next day, and I went and did that. Okay. Orthopedist walks in, looks at my black and blue uh, morphed arms, mutated arms. He says, well, they're both torn, and uh, what we need to do next is to get an MRI and decide whether or not you need surgery. Uh, if you do need surgery, though, it has to happen within 14 days of the injury or it don't work. Okay. So he, he said, next day we will uh, contact your insurance company, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield in New Jersey, uh, to get the approval for the MRI and we'll call you when we get it. Well, four days goes by. I'm sitting there hurting. I can't even move my arms. And no approval. I call the, the doctor. Well, we're waiting for it. Sometimes it takes a little while. They got their own doctors involved and so forth. And then finally, you know, we had the long Labor Day weekend. Finally yesterday, what was yesterday? Uh, Tuesday. This is uh, a week after they put in for the approval for the MRI. They get a call back from Blue Cross uh, denying me the MRI. Saying that I'm not hurt enough. Uh, that just put ice on it and pain management. And uh, uh, if it's still hurt in three or four weeks, so they'll approve the MRI. Now, of course, I went livid last night. I was livid when I got that phone call. Right? I pay $1,200 a month for insurance and have for 20-something years and rarely used it. And here I am now needing – I'm hurt. I'm injured. I'm seriously injured. I may need surgery by Saturday to repair at least the left arm. Hopefully not. But if I don't have this MRI, we don't know the severity of the injury and what the next step is as far as needing surgery, physical therapy. What are we going to do? And I'm saying to myself, and I call my doctor back. I'm not talking to the doctor. I'm talking to the nurse practitioner. And she tells me, she goes, you know, this is outrageous, she goes, but it happens all the time. And she says, if you were on Medicaid or Medicare, you would have been approved immediately. As a matter of fact, you probably don't even need to be approved. You just go and do it. And if you're an illegal alien, you're immediately reproved. Now think about this. 
the people who aren't paying any insurance premium at all, who are on the dole, who are being provided medical care with the taxpayer dollars, get immediate approval for a procedure like that. And me, an individual, and others like me that are paying insurance premiums can't get the procedure. I almost didn't sleep last night. That's how disturbed I was over this. Not to mention I'm really hurt. i got to get this thing fixed. Uh, and this morning I got up and I was on the phone with Blue Cross Blue Shield and I read them the Ryan Act. And uh, apparently what happens is that it's not Blue Shield that rejects you or approves you. It's um, uh, a third party that they subcontract out called CareCore based in Colorado that basically looks at your doctor's um, information that they send them and then makes a decision on whether or not you should be approved or not. So after 20 minutes, 30 minutes on with Blue Cross Blue Shield, after you go through the menus of computer layers that you have to go through to get a human being, uh, they transferred me to this care court. And I talked to them and read them the riot act, saying, look, I'm severely injured here. I may have no movement in my left arm if I don't have surgery. And the window is Saturday, and you guys denied my MRI. And again, this is just this is rationing of healthcare. But the rationing of the healthcare to the people who are paying the insurance premiums, which is amazing to me. I'd be better off not having health insurance and going to Medicaid and having everything approved. Or being illegal in this country, who hurts their arm, be brought in right away in the emergency room for an MRI. So here I am, 10, 11 days removed from my injury, had to wait seven days for the insurance company to deny me the MRI and only because I got on the phone and spent a good portion of an hour telling them that this had to be done that I get a phone call just before the show from my doctor saying they finally approved it. Now, if I go for an MRI, now who knows if I'm going to be able to schedule it in time. I don't know if we're still not sure if I can get in tomorrow or Friday, but Saturday is the cutoff of 14 days. And most likely if I need surgery, I won't be able to get it because it'll be too long. And that's the healthcare system in America with insurance. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when Obamacare kicks in? And let me tell you, if this happens to me with insurance, boy, you seniors who are Medicare, uh, once the Obamacare and the system, the healthcare system is fully implemented, and you have these panels that are going to decide whether or not you're going to get that new knee or that new hip. I'm telling you, rationing is what it's going to all be about. All right, we're at the end of another hour here on the Financial Physician Radio Program. It's the fastest hour in financial talk radio. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember the website, thefinancialphysician.com. My email address is lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Have a wonderful week. And please join me next Wednesday and every Wednesday for the next edition of The Financial Physician. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.